Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Questions and Answers on Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. I'm Khawa Salomon and I'll be with you for the next hour, just under an hour, just before 7 o'clock we end off. And that is for all of your questions that has come through on our SMS line 47913. You can also fax it uh, at our office number 021447271 or contact reception. Speak to either Zairunisa or Yasmina Peterson 021442350. And as always, uh, Sheikh is available another Saturday. Sheikh will be doing a rendition of your answers on this Q&A. And we welcome Sheikh Ibrahim Wurs. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh uh, to you, Hawa, and to our honorable listeners. Jazakallah again for Sheikh's time and availability. We much appreciate it very much. And uh, alhamdulillah, um, all the inputs with regards to the answers that comes with it as well. So the first one we kick off and it says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Could Sheikh please explain what is meant by Om Dihais Itta Mantra? What does that mean, Sheikh? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. This is a, a, a term that we uh, use here in Cape Town, of course. It is well known amongst our people. And uh, basically, it, uh, uh, it speaks about the issue of cleansing your house, you know, mm. from perhaps jinn or things that are unusual within, in, within your house or within your presence. Uh, and this is something which obviously, um, you know, is something, although we, we don't see the jinn, we don't experience them physically, but we do believe that they are there. We do believe that we have to take precaution against them. We need to protect ourselves, for example. Uh, we find in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had said, إِذَا دَخَلَ الرَّجُلُ بَيْتَهُ فَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ عِنْدَ دُخُولِهِ وَعِنْدَ طَعَامِهِ قَالَ الشَّيْطَانِ لَا مَبِيتَ لَكُمْ وَلَا عَشَاءٍ That if a person enters his house and he remembers Allah while entering and when eating, then shaitan will say there is no place for you tonight and there is no supper for you tonight. وَإِذَا دَخَلَ فَلَمْ يَذْكُرِ اللَّهَ عِنْدَ دُخُولِهِ قَالَ الشَّيْطَانِ أَدْرَقْتُمُ الْمَبِيتِ وَإِذَا لَمْ يَذْكُرِ اللَّهَ عِنْدَ طَعَامِهِ قَالَ أَدْرَقْتُمُ الْمَبِيتِ وَالْعَشَاءِ And if the person enters his home and he does not mention the name of Allah, then shaitan says to his followers or his, uh, his uh, associates that tonight you've got a place to, sl- to stay and you also have some food to eat. So this shows that the jinn are in our our presence and we need to take protection from them. And of course the hadith also indicates the way that we protect ourselves against shaitan is when we recite the name of Allah, we make dhikr dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a hadith for example also in Sahih Muslim where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَنْفِرُ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ الَّذِي تُقْرَأُ فِيهِ سُورَةُ الْبَقَرَةِ uh, that shaitan uh, runs away or flees from mm. a house in which Surah Al-Baqarah is recited. So again, it's it's a very clear directive from our Prophet Sallallahu yes, yeah. that you must recite Surah Al-Baqarah if you want the shaitan and the jinn to be distanced uh, from your from your home. And then there's other things that we recommend as well. Uh, for example, rendering the adhan. So this is all part of <laughs> the mantraing process, if you like. Okay. It's to cleanse your house, you know, by reciting the Quran, by reciting the dhikr of Allah, also by reciting the adhan, for example. This is mm-hmm. well known that the, uh, the adhan, there's certain ahadith that also indicate that the shaitan runs very far away when he hears the, sh- when he hears the adhan being rendered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, now there's one thing perhaps that people are curious about, and that is the issue of burning incense. 
Um, how does that fit into because that is op- often associated to the issue of mantraing and cleansing the house and uh, the simple answer to that really is that uh, we know that uh, shaitan or the jinn and all these uh, creatures of Allah Ta'ala they like to actually inhabit places where it's filth, where it's dirty, mm. where it's unclean that's why the toilet for example we are recommended when you go into the toilet that you actually seek protection from the shayateen that is in the toilet mm-hmm. because the toilet is a place of filth it's dirty there's uh, najasa there so obviously if uh, we then apply the opposite which is if you do anything which is clean which is pure like the incense obviously the smell it's a very clean smell then the understanding would then be that there wouldn't be shaitan in the presence if there is clean smells you know there's beautiful smells and fragrances and the houses now obviously we should clean our homes as well physically because any dirty house and where we, we, we don't take care of the hygiene of our house uh, that is also very prone to be uh, obviously filled with shaitan with jinn mm. so these are basically the processes that is called uh, mantraing uh, and really what it means is to cleanse your house from perhaps activities or from things that you are not aware of and you protect your house through the things that we've mentioned reciting the Quran, reciting the Adhan, making dhikr of Allah Ta'ala and these are the things that was obviously taught to us by our Prophet Alayhi Salatu Wasalam Jazakallah Sheikh Abnobri, I think quite had the issue of uh, talking about it because you say it all the time, you know, reciting and, and mantraing out but um, the original word mantra, does it come originate I'm from? sure it's some Malay origin word, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure, I'm not uh, 100% but I, I, I have a suspicion that it's probably a word that is used by our, uh, you know, Indonesian origin, you know, that this comes from the actually uh, so so the, the Arabic word really is Ruqya, you know, Ruqya. Okay. Ruqya means obviously to uh, apply some ayat or, or hadith or apply certain words and names of Allah Ta'ala for protection, etc, etc. Jazakallah, Sheikh. Okay, Assalamu Alaikum. What is the latest one can read Asr before Maghrib, Sheikh? Um, I get home at about 6 p.m. Is it too late to read at about uh, 10 past 6? Shukran. Well, it depends uh, what time Maghrib is. Uh, that will obviously give you an answer. Uh, because the latest you can perform Maghrib for it to be a, a salah that is not qada'an, the latest you can do it is there must be enough time before Maghrib for you to at least complete one full raka'ah of the salah of Asr. Right? And one full raka'ah will mean the standing, the ruku', the sujood, everything. The two sujoods also is included. So if you've made one full raka'ah before the adhan of Maghrib, then your Asr is not qada'an, but it is still in its time. Alright, so if Maghrib for example is, let's say Maghrib is 10 past 6, then the latest that you will be able to perform Asr is around about, I would say, 8 minutes past 6. So that at least you get one raka'ah before the adhan of Maghrib, you get at least one raka'ah of Asr uh, before the adhan of Maghrib. And this is taken from a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that is in Sahih al-Bukhari on the authority of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. He says, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا أَدْرَكَ أَحَدُكُمْ سَجَدَةً مِنْ صَلَاةِ الْعَصْرِ قَبْلَ أَنْ تَغْرُبَ الشَّمْسُ فَلْيُتِمَّ صَلَاتَهُ If a person has reached one sajidah, meaning one sujood, one, one raka'ah really, this is the explanation, if a person had reached and completed one raka'ah of salatul asr before the sun has set then the prophet says sallallahu alayhi wasallam let him complete his salah meaning that salah of asr in other words is intact is ada'an it's not qada'an uh, of course we need to also say that you shouldn't delay your salah uh, deliberately until the last moments mm. you should try to make it as best as you can and as you said if you come home at six o'clock for example um 
then you should make it immediately, you know. Uh, and if you are able to do that, then alhamdulillah, if you get one rak'ah, as I said, then it's intact. In Even if the adhan goes off while you are busy with it, with it asr salah, you continue that salah, and that salah is 100% uh, acceptable, inshallah. And one, one rak'ah would be... As um, I said, the one rak'ah would be a full rak'ah, not only until the ruku, as many people think, hmm. but it's actually the, the standing position, the ruku, coming up from the ruku, and also doing the two sujoods. Okay. So you must have completed full, both sujood. Yeah. So full rak'ah. If you've completed uh, that extent of the salah, then of course that salah is intact uh, okay. b- in its time, inshallah. So full ruku- uh, rak'ah and full um, sajdas. Absolutely well. correct. Okay. Yes. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My husband smokes marijuana and he still wants to lead salah when he is sober. Can we follow him? Yeah, look, the, the issue here is uh, if he is obviously under the influence uh, while he's going to make the salah, that is out of the question. You won't f- follow a man that is uh, in a state of intoxication at all. But if it is that he, he, he is definitely sober, as the question is saying, uh, then of course it would be allowed to follow him, although it is makru. You know, it is disliked to follow a person who is in this particular in this particular uh, uh, sense and or in this particular state it is mentioned in the uh, encyclopedia of fiqh it is mentioned waqad sarraha al-hanafiyyatu wash-shafi'iyyatu bi jawaz al-iqtida'i bil-fasiqi ma'a al-karaha that the Hanafis and the Shafi'is they say it is permissible to follow a person who is a fasiq meaning a sinful person and of course uh, smoking intoxicants is a sinful act but he says it is allowed but it is ma'al karaha there's obviously makru you know it is disliked and undesirable to actually uh, make salah behind such a person so uh, what we'll say to you is that uh, obviously you should make da'wah to your husband and try your best to convince him what he's doing is wrong etc and in the meantime with hikmah of course with wisdom and you should try to help him to get off that particular habit you know, and if, for example, let's say uh, you are going to uh, not make salah behind him, and that is maybe going to send a strong message to him that he should stop doing these things, mm-hmm. uh, then that is what you should do. If it's not going to cause big trouble for you in your marriage, or you know he's not going to lose his mind over that kind of reaction of yours, then you should actually do that because that may be a deterrent for him then. Okay, but the technicality of the question is if you are going to make salah behind him while he is in a state of being sober, then of course the salah would be correct. The salah is, you know, uh, accepted in that case, although it is makru uh, to be done in that way. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Should there be mashura between husband and wife with regards to marrying another wife, Sheikh? Yes, I, I certainly feel uh, that it is uh, very much advisable. I wouldn't say it is a condition for the validity of a person's marriage. Uh, but it is something that is, uh, I think, advisable uh, if a husband wants to take a second wife. Uh, you know, morally, it is only right that he, uh, uh, you know, talks to his uh, first wife about the subject and at least make her aware that this is his intention and why he's doing it. And I believe if he's uh, able to provide, you know, his reasons and he speaks to her uh, in, a, in a decent manner, I'm sure, although it will always be difficult for a, a wife uh, in certain environments, you know, it is difficult for a wife to, uh, to deal with this kind of thing. I think if you do it in the proper way, eventually she will come around uh, so that is from a moral point but if he let's say he gets married uh, and this is the technical question if he gets married without having informed his first wife and without having consulted with her is the marriage to the second wife correct yes the marriage is correct if it if it fulfills all the conditions of nikah meaning there must be a wali there must be a certain wording that is spoken at the nikah there must be uh, obviously uh, witnesses uh, etc right so if those things are intact then the marriage to the second wife will be correct uh, although I think uh, from a moral uh, standpoint, uh, a, a husband should try to at least you know, speak to his wife beforehand and make her aware and not give her the shock afterwards that he just got married, etc. This is possibly a better uh, option 
for him, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I was skeptical when a father asked his adult son, why are you not covering your feet when entering the toilet? And his response was, why must I cover? I don't see anything wrong. Kindly explain why we must be covered head to toe when entering the toilet, please, Sheikh. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that we as, you know, when we were much younger, we were all taught this, you know, you don't go into the toilet bare feet, you don't go without your head being covered, etc. And in fact, it is something which is prescribed to us in the Sharia. It is, if you if you look at the books of fiqh, you know, you will see that they bring this up as one of the adab of actually entering the toilet. Mm-hmm. Uh, a quotation here, for example, from the Majmu' of Imam al-Nawawi. Imam al-Nawawi is, a, is an authority in the Shafi'i Madhab, for example. So he says, qala Imam al-Haramayn wal-Ghazali wal-Baghawi wa That these scholars, Imam al-Haramayn and Ghazali and Baghawi and others, they all say, يُسْتَحَبُّ أَلَّا يَدْخُلَ الْخَلَاءَ مَكْشُوفَ الرَّأْسِ it is highly desirable that a person does not enter the toilet while his head is uncovered, right? He says, قَالَ بَعْضُ أَصْحَابِنَا Some of our uh, companions even say, فَإِن لَمْ يَجِدْ شَيْئًا وَضَعَ كَمَّهُ عَلَىٰ رَأْسِهِ If he doesn't find anything to cover his head at that particular time, then he should place his sleeve over his head. Uh, and obviously this shows the, the uh, insistency or, or rather the, the seriousness of this matter, that it is something highly recommended. It's not fart, it's not compulsory, but it is a high recommendation as part of the adab of entering a, uh, the toilet. And then of course, he then also mentions the issue of covering the feet. It is also uh, desirable that a person does not enter the toilet while being bare feet. And of course, there are a hadith on this topic as well, which they obviously draw from. One hadith is quoted by Imam al-Nawawi, although he indicates that there may be an issue with the authenticity of it. Uh, it's in Bayhaqi. The Prophet wasallam is believed to have, uh, When the Prophet used to enter the toilet or the space where he was going to relieve himself, he would make sure that he's wearing something on his feet and that he would cover his head. And then also he mentions that uh, there is authentic evidence to show that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an, the beloved companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he used to do this, you know, and this is also in the book of Imam al-Bayhaqi, وَرُوِيَ فِي تَغْطِيَةِ الرَّأْسِ عِنْدَ دُخُولِ الْخَلَاءِ عَنْ أَبِي بَكْرٍ as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, and he says, وَهُوَ صَحِيحٌ عَنْهُ he says it is authentic that Abu Bakr radiallahu an used to do this. He used to cover his head when relieving himself. So of course uh, it would be then be uh, an act that is desirable, it is recommended. And then uh, we find that uh, there are reasons for it of course. Right? Besides the religious point, the, the, there are actually reasons for it. And it ties into what we spoke earlier on. We said earlier on that the jinn, etc., they sit in places where there's a lot of filth, mm. right? So when you are uncovered, you know, they are, you are more prone to be exposed to those jinn and they may, you know, uh, come on your hair, they may, because they are unseen. We don't, we, we don't know how they look and how they operate and where they are, right? Mm. And besides that, I also find in the, in the encyclopedia of fiqh, once again, uh, I find that they say that the reason why you should also obviously uh, cover your head is, he says, وَلِأَنَّ uh, hal because it is in a state in which your aura will also be uncovered, you know, min Allah Azza wa Jal. So you show some kind of shyness to Allah Ta'ala by covering up the other parts of your body. You know, it's, uh, that's another hikmah perhaps. And then he also says, And also the filth that is in the toilet or the smells or the fragrances, etc. You know, it's actually to cover yourself from that and to protect yourself from that as well. And covering the feet also, the same reason. You know, you don't know what najasa is in the toilet. So you may be trodding into naj- najasa without you knowing. 
You may be stepping into something which is impure. So that is why we do these things. It is protection against shaitan, protection against filth. It is uh, uh, showing our shyness in front of Allah Ta'ala by covering up. Um, so, so those are some of the reasons and wisdoms that is mentioned in our book. So just to clarify, it is something prescribed in our sharia. Uh, if a person can do it, he should certainly do it. Uh, if he cannot or is in a certain circumstance, as I said, it is not compulsory. So he won't be punished if he doesn't do it. But it is something which is recommended in the sharia. Jazakallah, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. Can Sheikh please clarify the matter about visiting the karamats? There are groups visiting before going on Hajj and giving thanks to those kabirs. I've been taught though that it's shirk and one should not even go close to places like those because of what people do there. Can Sheikh uh, please shed some light on this issue? Yeah, of course, this is uh, an issue that becomes an issue for some people. Um, and it's not obviously correct to just uh, say it is shirk if people go there because people uh, go there for, for various reasons and they have various understandings when they go there. And so when people go on Hajj, for example, uh, the general understanding is they go there to pay their homage, you know, and to pay their respect because these were people that brought Islam here. And, uh, you know, they, they go there actually to show shukr to Allah, not to the, the karamat, but they go there to pay respect. And you, you visit the, the karamat of any place, you know, not only of your own country. If you know a Salih person is buried somewhere, like we visit the graves of the Sahaba, for example. We visit the graves of the Anbiya. People that go to Palestine, for example, they visit the graves of Nabi Ibrahim alayhi salam and whatever Anbiya is buried there in Palestine. And it is just to show our respect, you know, to people that are very dear to Allah and very near to Allah Ta'ala. So if you are doing it for that reason, this clearly cannot obviously be labeled as shirk. Mm. Right? Shirk is if you worship something other than Allah. So if somebody goes there and worship the grave and makes sujood to the grave and actually, uh, you know, um, think that the grave can help and the person in the grave can help him and assist him, then obviously that is problematic. But uh, to just to label anybody that goes to the maqbara for ziyara to say that that is shirk, that is obviously not a fair statement. And we find in the fatawa of Ibn Hajar al-Haytami, for example, one of the great scholars in the Shafi'i Madhab, he mentions the status of visiting the qubur of the Salihin and he says, ziyara to qubur al-awliya'i he says to visit the graves of the awliya, of those who are deemed to be the friends of Allah or those who are deemed to be pious, is something which is a qurba. It is something that can bring you close to Allah and it is something which is mustahab. It is something which is recommended. And the reason for that is why, why is it recommended? For the general recommendation, the Prophet says you must visit the, the graves because it will remind you of the akhirah. So that's a general recommendation. And why specifically if it is a pious person? Because when you go there, you reflect and you think, Ya Allah, Allah has granted this person the status because of the good life that he lived, his taqwa that he had perhaps, his good uh, akhlaq that he had. So when you go there, it is kind of a lesson for you that hopefully you will also follow in the footsteps of the pious people and also walk the roads of the Sirat al-Mustaqeem and also be one that will be pleasing Allah and Allah take you away in a good state. So that is why you go to reflect on those things. So people going there for Hajj purposes, I think most of them go with the reason of just showing their respects and that certainly is not shirk, but that is something which is not only uh, acceptable, but it is something, as Ibn Hajar says, if it is the Qubur of the Salihin, it is in fact something which is mustahab and recommended. Jazakallah. With that, we take a short break. We'll come back with more of your questions on Q&A back in a moment. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas.
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome back. A very good evening. This is Questions and Answers on 91.3 FM. And answering in studio is Sheikh Ibrahim Wiss. So, Sheikh, the next one is Assalamu alaikum. Sheikh, are we allowed to make dua for our family who is Christian that is ill or that has passed away? Many of us do come from Christian. Um, Side Christian background, um, and they say, Kramakasi, please advise. Haven't heard that one in a while, Shah. Yeah, <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Yeah, of course, uh, for our relatives or friends that are obviously sick and ill, there's nothing wrong to make dua for their, for their good health. There's nothing wrong to, uh, you know, help them and assist them, in fact, in that particular regard. Uh, we find that uh, the Prophet had, of course, uh, indicated to us. Uh, that to interact with, with somebody who is in a state of illness, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and to accept also things from them, there's also nothing wrong with that because they are human beings. And uh, he says, Imam Nawawi, for example, says in his book Al Athkar, Sarraha Al Nawawi, Imam Nawawi says in his book Al Athkar, it is not permissible. And Yuda'a lil maghfirati You can't ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive somebody who had passed away on non belief or disbelief. Right? You cannot ask Allah Ta'ala to obviously uh, forgive them, etc. Because they had died in a state which Allah is not happy with. Right? Uh, but you can ask that Allah should guide them if they are still alive. Right? To ask for guidance for those people. Uh, you can make dua that Allah gives them good health. And Allah restores them if they are ill. Right? And there's a hadith of Anas radiallahu an. Uh, he says, and this is quoted by Imam al-Nawawi, إِسْتَسْقَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَسَقَاهُ يَهُودِيُّ At one stage the Prophet ﷺ was looking for some water and it was a Jewish person that offered some water for the Prophet ﷺ. فَقَالَ لَهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ And the Nabi actually made dua for this person. Because this person gave him some water. And the Prophet said to him, جَمَّلَكَ اللَّهُ May Allah beautify you. <laughs> Physically, it means may Allah make you a beautiful person. And the hadith says, فَمَا رَأَى الشَّيْبَ حَتَّى مَات Because of this dua, this person never saw any gray hair on his head. He was, you know, he had no gray hairs at, at all until he died. And of course, the barakah of the dua of Rasulullah wasallam. As for making dua after they passed away, as I said, if it is dua for their forgiveness, etc., uh, we are not allowed to do that because that is in the hand of Allah Ta'ala. Allah alone knows how He will be dealing with those people who died on disbelief. Uh, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran in Surah Al-Tawbah, مَا كَانَ لِلنَّبِيِّ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَيَّ يَسْتَغْفِرُوا لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ وَلَوْ كَانُوا أُلِي قُرْبَى مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُمْ أَصْحَابُ الْجَحِيمِ And the ayah in a nutshell means it is not befitting for the Prophet and those who believe to ask istighfar or to make, uh, ask for forgiveness for those who uh, ascribe partners to Allah Ta'ala. Jazakallah shukran for that, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. Now, Sheikh, Ramadan is fast approaching. Is it true that our deceased visits us during this holy month of Ramadan? Yeah, I personally have not come across uh, any authentic evidence uh, that, that points towards this, right? Uh, I, I haven't found uh, anything that would show that they specifically visit us in Ramadan, etc. As for the deceased and the arwah, are they able to move about? Yes, they are able to move about. Uh, are they able to be uh, to hear and to, to be aware of things that are happening? Yes, they are aware. Allah can give them that ability because they are living in a life that is barzakh. Mm. It is a station between life and the year after this life and the year after. So uh, those things are possible. But in terms of of Ramadan itself, I haven't come across any any evidences that show that they specifically would visit or we would be uh, they would be aware of us, etc. The month of Ramadan specifically, I haven't found anything on that. Jazakallah. What are some of the most mustajab 
times when a dua is accepted, Sheikh, during the month of Ramadan? Yeah, of course, the month of Ramadan is a very auspicious month. And, uh, uh, you know, just the fact that a person is fasting uh, is uh, enough, you know, to, to, to actually put him in a state that his duas will be accepted. Just the fact that he is fasting at any time during the day, his du'as automatically will be much more accepted than uh, at other times. And uh, we find Imam Nawawi in his Al-Majmu' he mentions this after quoting the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu where the Prophet sallallahu said, "Thalathatun la turaddu da'watuhum." There are three people whose du'a is never rejected. The first one is "As-sa'imu hatta yuftir," a person who's fasting until he breaks his fast. Imam al-Adil, a ruler that is just. Wal-Mazlum, a person who is oppressed. And the hadith is in Intirmidhi and Ibn Majah. Now, the point of the hadith here is the Prophet says that the person's dua is accepted is the fasting person until he breaks his fast. So Imam Nawawi infers from this and he explains and he says, فَيَقْتَضِي إِسْتِحْبَابَ دُعَاءِ الصَّائِمْ مِنْ أَوَّلِ الْيَوْمِ إِلَىٰ آخِرِهِ So it would then be recommended for a person to make dua as much as he can from the morning till the night hmm. as he is in a state of fasting. لِأَنَّهُ يُسَمَّى صَائِمًا فِي كُلِّ ذَلِكَ Because he is called a fasting person in the hadith. So any fasting person any time of the day, his dua is automatically mustajab and accepted. However, we do find that there are other indications as well that the ahadith shows that uh, there, there, there is a specific time also during the day when you are fasting that it is also mustajab. And that is a hadith where the Prophet wasallam says the hadith is in the book of Ibn Majah and uh, Al-Bayhaqi and others where the Prophet wasallam says, إِنَّ لِلصَّائِمِ عِنْدَ فِطْرِهِ لَدَعْوَةً مَا تُرَدْ that verily the fasting person at the time when he breaks his fast has got a dua that will never be rejected. So besides the fact that the entire day you are uh, mustajab in terms of your dua, at the time of actually breaking your fast, meaning just prior to the adhan of Maghrib going off, that time is also very, very mustajab to make dua. And then finally, of course, to say that all other times uh, outside the month of Ramadan, which is uh, very special and very uh, powerful for you to make dua in, those apply in Ramadan as well. For example, making dua at the time of tahajjud, which is before the adhan of fajr, by an hour, half an hour, etc. Making dua between the adhan and the iqama, making dua when you are in sujood. These are general circumstances, even outside of Ramadan, when dua will be accepted. So obviously in the month of Ramadan, those things still apply. So we should still make a lot of dua between Adhan and the Qama. We should still make a lot of dua in Tahajjud. So you can imagine if it applies other times, then in Ramadan, obviously, it applies much more. It applies much more. So uh, we should make dua basically as much as we can. It is the month of dua. Uh, uh, it is a month of acceptance and maghfirah. And inshallah, Allah afford us those forgiveness and the mercy and the compassion that we are looking for, inshallah. Jazakallah, Sheikh. When we get back more of your questions on 47913, we're already receiving Ramadan questions. Uh, Month is uh, drawing closer and closer, as one of our listeners had mentioned. But more of your questions and Ramadan questions just after this. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back. Our last few minutes of the show, questions and answers received via SMS. Um, we 
are accepting but sometimes get lost in the system when you are sending questions via WhatsApp. So please be cautious about that. So we're advising everybody, preferably send via SMS 47913. You could call Zedanisa or speak to Yasmina Peterson, uh, send through emails or our Facebook page, The Voice of the Cape, and offers our number 021 In studio is Sheikh Ibrahim Wiz. And Sheikh, for the month of Ramadan, is Sheikh taking a bit of a break uh, with the classes? Yeah, in, in Ramadan, we don't have our usual classes mm-hmm. since we have lots of uh, other activities at the masjid, uh, the taraweeh, and of course, there's lots of lectures happening on Sundays and over weekends. So we will be taking a break of the uh, ordinary classes, inshallah, that will resume after the month of Ramadan again. Okay. So, Sheikh, this one reads um, about the etiquette. So what are some of the etiquettes we should have during this holy month of Ramadan? Coming? Yeah, of course, uh, there are many, many adab and etiquettes that we should be displaying. Uh, all the etiquettes is, number one, you should try to fulfill your duties towards Allah during this month. Right uh, to respect this month and to carry out that which Allah wants you to carry out as an obligation. So you should give all attention to your fasting. You should give all attention to uh, your ibadah in general, your salah. You know, um, it doesn't mean if we are fasting we should neglect the other ibadat. You know, our, our fasting is still very very important. Our salah is also still very very important. So we should fulfill our duties towards Allah Taala in the best possible manner, and that is the adab of 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 the month of Ramadan. So uh, uh, there are obviously other adab as well. So when we are fasting, uh, of the etiquettes is that we shouldn't only be fasting from food and drink, but we should also be fasting from all other haram or wrong activities, right? Uh, there's a hadith that show that we should also be fasting in terms of uh, what we are saying. You know, we should uh, our tongue should be fasting as well of what we speak. There's a hadith uh, which is authentic with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had said, "Man lam yada'a qawla az-zuri wal-'amal bih, falaysa lillahi hajatun fi an yada'a ta'amahu wa sharabahu." A person who does not leave off vain talks or vulgar talks, uh, and he acts upon those talks or implements it, uh, Allah is not in need for him to leave off his food and drink. So while we are fasting from the physical foods, we should also be fasting from all haram or wrong activities such as uh, slandering or ghiba, uh, backbiting or lying or um, condemning other people or talking bad about them, you know, etc. Uh, and insulting people. We should protect our, our senses, basically. We should protect our tongues. We should also protect our eyes. We should not be looking at haram. We should protect our ears. We should not be, obviously, hearing or listening to things which are which are haram. So obviously these are all things which are very important. So much so that the Prophet ﷺ had said to us in a hadith, As-siyamu junnah, fasting is a shield for you. وَإِذَا كَانَ يَوْمُ صَوْمِ أَحَدِكُمْ So if one of you are fasting, فَلَا يَرْفُثْ وَلَا يَسْخَبْ They shouldn't speak vulgar talks and uh, things that are out of line. فَإِنْ سَابَّهُ أَحَدٌ If somebody swears at them, أَوْ قَاتَلَهُ Or he wants to provoke him, فَلْيَقُلْ إِنِّي مْرُؤٌ صَائِمٌ He should simply reply by saying, I am fasting. So in other words, you don't uh, retaliate even if somebody provokes you, but rather you just say to this person, I am fasting, meaning I'm not interested to waste my time and to waste my fasting mm-hmm. in these kinds of discussions, which is just going to uh, have a very negative effect on my spirituality. So uh, these are part of the adab, and as I said, to fulfill your duties as best as you can. It's a month of ibadah, it's a month of uh, charity, so we try to give charity as much as we can of the adab, so we try to make our salatul taraweeh, uh, you know, as diligently as we possibly can. Remember but Taraweeh only comes around in the month of Ramadan and it's a very special ibadah. The hadith says, Man qama Ramadana imanan wa ihtisaban, ghufira lahu ma taqaddama min dhambi. A person who stands in prayer 
during the month of Ramadan, and this refers first and foremost to Salatul Tarawih, and also then by extension Salatul Tahajjud. A person who stands in prayer in the month of Ramadan, hoping to obviously receive a reward from Allah, such a person's sins will be forgiven. So that in a nutshell, obviously, is some of the adab. There are perhaps others as well, but that just summarizes what is expected from us during this holy month. Yes, I realize that that's probably a question, a show on its own. And and so is the next one uh, with regards to Laylatul Qadr, Sheikh. Uh, kindly explain what happens during Laylatul Qadr. Yeah, of course, Laylatul Qadr is that one evening that we are all going to be in search of in the month of Ramadan. Uh, the night of power as it is uh, described to be uh, it is also the night of decree uh, so uh, the best is to refer to the surah which speaks about qadr where allah ta'ala says inna anzalnahu fi laylatil qadr if you read the surah you will get a very good idea as to the status of this night and what happens on this night of the activities that happens on this night for example is tanazzalul malaikatu war ruhu fiha that all the angels they descend on this night including the archangel Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam. They all come to the dunya. So why do they come to the dunya? Because they actually want to observe the ibadah that is taking place. They want to participate. They want to say ameen to your du'as. They want to bring barakah from Allah Ta'ala to you. right? Uh, and Allah Ta'ala also says salamun hiya hatta matla'il fajr. And there will be a peace that will prevail. Peacefulness will prevail on that night. And it will continue until the following morning. So uh, obviously it's a night that is khayrun min alfi shahr. It is a night that is better than a thousand months. Okay, because uh, obviously it's the night that the Quran was revealed. It's the night that the angels come down, as I said. So should Allah accept your ibadah on that night, then it means Allah Ta'ala had accepted ibadah of you that is worth more than 83 years of worship. Right? And there's a hadith, just to conclude, the Prophet Sallallahu says in this hadith, إِنَّ هَذَا الشَّهَرَ قَدْ حَضَرَكُمْ This month has appeared before you, وَفِيهِ لَيْلَةٌ خَيْرٌ مِّنْ أَلْفِ شَهَرٍ And in it is a night that is better than a thousand months. مَنْ حُرِمَهَا فَقَدْ حُرِمَ الْخَيْرَ كُلَّهِ A person who has been deprived from this night, he has de- been deprived from all goodness. Mm-hmm. So we must obviously search for it in the last 10 nights, in the odd evenings, especially we should search for it 21st, 23rd, 25th, 27th, 29th. We should search for it. And should Allah Ta'ala give us the opportunity to witness it, then of course there will be a lot of, lot of benefit in there and barakah for us for that particular evening. And Allah knows best. Jazakallah, Sheikh, for giving us a concise um, rundown of what happens and, and why Lalatul Qadr is there, as well as a few of our questions that has already come through with regards to Ramadan. So please send through your questions on 47913. If you've got specific, uh, anything specific with regards to Ramadan, we are accepting your questions now already as this beautiful month dawns um, quickly, coming really quickly. I must say, alhamdulillah, it's, um, and before you know it, we don't want it to to go away as well, it will be gone. So let's take um, advantage of this time now. It is preparation up until Ramadan, inshallah. Jazakallah, Sheikh, for the time uh, Sheikh has afforded us today. Till we speak again, Assalamu alaikum. Jazakumullah khairan to you and to our honorable listeners. Until we meet, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And from myself, Khawa Salman, have a good weekend. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and a very good evening to you.